When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great show. I am your host, Martha Shedden, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Ed Gouldie to the podcast. Ed is the lead attorney in charge of the New York City Parisman Firm's workman, Workers' Compensation and Social Security Disability Law Practice. In his practice, he concentrates on all aspects of workers' compensation and social security disability law for claimants. Ed is also experienced in handling complex legal matters involving injuries, including extensive work on the 9-11 cancer litigation. Ed, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Tell us how you came to be an attorney who concentrates in Social Security. What led you to become so interested in that topic? So um, when you come out of law school, you have a couple of choices. You can go into the corporate world. You can do business litigation. You can go work for the government in various capacities. And none of those really appealed to me when I graduated in 09. And I did find work at a firm um, that did uh, workers' comp and social security, not Parisman, somewhere else. And I really liked it because it was uh, non-corporate work. It was not government. And it let me directly help people who needed help. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I've been doing that field for about 12 years now. That's wonderful. What insights into social security would be helpful for the average consumer from your vantage point of practicing social security law, basically. So the average consumer is a very interesting person because social security is very situational, but in general, if at all possible, you want to get in your 40 quarters of working time because the benefits, if you vested the 10 years of work into the system and paid the taxes on it are the difference between that and what somebody who's on SSI who hasn't put in the time is, they're so extreme that it's, it's really essential. And what I see all the time is working class people who have been working their whole lives, but maybe they're waitresses or they work construction. So they'll have 30 years of work and 26 years will be off the books. Uh, yeah. And they come to me and they didn't pay the social security taxes. So the first thing that I want people to know is 
when you let your boss pay you cash, you think he's cheating the government out of the tax revenue, but he's really cheating you. Because when he does that, your earnings aren't getting recorded and you're not going to get that future benefit along with all the other problems that working under the table comes with. But that's that's the first thing I'd like to say. Now, there's others, but that's the big one. And that is so true, especially for the younger generation when they're just starting out and they're just not thinking of that in terms of, well, let alone retirement, but the possibility of becoming disabled. So what, how exactly are you mostly helping your clients? What are the most common issues you're helping them with? So mainly what we do for social security in particular is the application process for SSD for social security disability. And that process, you need an attorney. There are a few diseases, some cancers, some kidney and liver issues, um, almost all of them terminal within six months to a year, where you can file on your own, where you will get the expedited process. And any reputable attorney, if you come to them and you have, you know, multiple myeloma with a terminal diagnosis, they'll tell you that. But for almost everything else, for your orthopedic disabilities, for nervous disorders, for anything psychiatric, you need an attorney. And here's why. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to our practice, um, even someone we represent in either a workers' comp or another liability matter, comes to us and they say, I filed my social security application. It got rejected. Can you help me now? And the answer is yes, except 90% of the time, we can't file the appeal to that initial application because it's defective, because the one that the person did themselves is missing something essential, which will help them get the benefit. So I instead start over. We file a new initial application and they have to go through the whole wait process for that. And then we can file the appeal because the application is correct. But if you're filing for social security disability, my advice is not to try on your own most of the time. Get a lawyer from the beginning because what will happen is you will end up wasting six months to a year. Yeah. Well, the IA processes, it gets rejected. And then when you go find a lawyer, they will look at what you did and say, okay, we have to do this again most of the time. So you hear that so much. The disability applications are denied. And now I'm gathering that that is because they're not doing it. What is it that they're not doing correctly that they need an attorney for that application? So it's not any one thing. It's not like I can say, I can point to the application and say, on the fourth page of Form D in this section, most people don't fill this out. That's not what happens. What happens is two things, okay? Number one, people don't include relevant medical information. They don't include a condition they have. A person will have a psychiatric condition that may be mild, which wouldn't be enough to get at you on your own. You know, maybe some mild depression or something, which on its own, not such a big deal. But they'll also have a major orthopedic component. And, you know, I'm thinking of cases in particular at this time. You get someone in their 40s who has to be found less than sedentary because they don't get that benefit of being over 50 yet. Yeah. 
They have a significant orthopedic problem, but I don't know. It's maybe it's lower extremities. Maybe it's ankles and knees rather than back and arms. They don't include the psychiatric component. They file on their own. It gets rejected because the uh, initial application is analyzed and they say, this person can do sedentary work. Therefore, they don't apply. It doesn't, doesn't work for them. And we then come back and we look at it and we say, hey, we have depression establishing your workers' compensation case. Why isn't it on the application? Oh, but that's not why I can't work. I can't work because of my knees. So it's just a matter of, of including every. Yeah, your heart problems, your diabetes, your blood pressure. Everything. The only time, the only time that you might want to leave something out is what I call sin conditions. And what that is, is Social Security Administration has what I consider a puritanical bent, which is not in line with modern science. Look, modern science thinks that alcoholism and drug addiction are disease processes. Social Security doesn't look at them that way. They don't consider them the same as everything else. So that would be, you know, if you have severe liver disease from cirrhosis or something like that, you might consider leaving that out. But other than that, everything should come in. And if you have one of those conditions, you may want to include it anyway, but you need to talk to a lawyer. The other things that people leave out of applications is they leave out credit years. They um, leave out education factors. It's just every time I see one, pretty much, and we're considering an appeal, I would say almost every time we refile the initial application, there's something missing. And the reason is when you file for disability, the application to do it right on the computer takes three or four hours. It takes a long time. It's extensive. They want to know basically every detail about you. Mm -hmm. And it's just better to have a lawyer. And frankly, the fee structure for Social Security is such that, you know, the 25% fee for an attorney with the max cap of a $6,000 fee payment, where it's just under 5,900 and something, um, there's no reason not to. Because the amount of financial strain and pain that people put through, get put through because of bad applications yeah, and because of the amount of time it takes to go through the process on your own, it's well worth the money to, get, to go get a lawyer. Right. So it's really that strict definition of disability. SSDI is known to be more strict than other disability insurance applications. And it's mostly, it sounds like it's mostly just not knowing how, not correctly filling out the application. But it's more than that. What people need to understand is when an application comes into social security, it starts in the rejected pile. Then an examiner goes through it and they pull out what are, um, we call them clear grid rules cases or qualifying conditions, things that are listed on the website. And you can go on Social Security's website and you can see that list. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Um, Anything that's not on that list, it goes in the rejected pile. And if you file without an attorney because they can see that, you are 
more likely to end up in that pile, even if you did everything right. That's kind of sad, though, that legal representation is needed even to um, apply for the disability. It's just that difficult. Has it always been that way? It hasn't. And it's been that way since I've been practicing. But there are three factors here. Okay. All right. That, that, that are making it this way um, and that need to be fixed. Number one, Social Security is understaffed. It's been understaffed for years. It's still understaffed. They, frankly, do not have the personnel to vigorously examine each application and try to find the ones that would avoid hearings. Number two, funding issues. Everyone knows there's a demographic issue that's been going on for about 20 years right now. The prime time to apply for Social Security disability is when you turn 50 in 50 to 65. That 15 year. Explain that, Ed. Why is the age 50 so important? Okay. so to back up, there are two standards for Social Security. If you're under 50 years old, you must and you have a high school degree and you speak English and you're literate, you can read and write, which is most people, you have to prove that you are unable to perform sedentary work, which is in lay terms, a desk job. Right. You have to prove that you're not able. And when you go into the hearings, there will be a vocational expert who will say, based on the medical documentation, the claimant can perform a work from home sales job eight hours per day with phone set up and headset as accommodations. Therefore, sedentary work is available. And they say, though there are 400,000 such jobs in such and such area. The point is, the standard if you're under 50 is you can't be able to do desk jobs. All right. And that's very hard to prove disability wise medically. A desk job is not strenuous. It does not require lifting. Many times orthopedically, I win those uh, for my back clients, clients with bad backs on sitting restrictions. It's the primary way you win it. Also, attention restrictions due to pain, psychiatric restrictions. But the point is, getting that under 50 qualification is very difficult. You have to be very disabled. Over 50 is not as hard. And the reason is it's a different standard. The standard, if you're over 50, is that you have to be disabled to the degree that you're unable to perform your prior employment and you don't have transferable skills. So a typical example in my practice is I'll get somebody who's like, you know, a local 157 carpenter who's put in 25 or 30 years on construction sites. He'll speak English. He'll have a high school diploma. And he'll have some sort of injury that he'll come to my firm with for workers' comp or third-party liability or some other issue. Uh, Many times it's hands or back or something like that with a carpenter. That case, if he's over 50, all I have to prove is, A, he can't go back to carpentry, and B, he doesn't have transferable skills. And unless my client has something in addition to being a basic carpenter, unless he was a shop steward or a foreman or has something managerial, Mm -hmm. that's pretty easy. 
So that, you know, the, it's just surprising to me. I don't believe that I have ever read that anywhere, that there's this distinct line at age 50. So it's on the standards. All of this is public information, okay? And anybody who wants to find out more before hiring a lawyer, the website is ssa.gov, okay? If you go to that website, and I'm doing it right now on my computer, and you click on disability, you can find all of this information that Social Security puts out including their standards. And the place to find it is you go to that disability page, you click on related information. Okay. All right. And then you just let me find it because I do this every time. You go to under related information, you go to disability publications. Uh. (laughs) And Then you have to scroll through all these different resources and you can go to the one is the one I like to refer people to is the fact sheet. Okay. okay, Or the one that says what you need to know when you get social security disability benefits. And then the final one, and this is the most important, this is this publication 05153. If you Google those numbers, SSA publication, 05153, you'll find it. It's called How We Decide If You Still Have a Disabling Condition. And that one is about the continued checkups that you have to do. Okay. But that also provides some of the standards. Then there's also the blue book, which is the the way they figure it out. There's the red book, which are for more advanced things. And I would suggest that anybody who has the time and energy should go onto the list of publications on the Social Security website and at least scan through some of these because yeah. they're not trying to hide it. Well, it's okay? just it's just so much information. And someone mm-hmm. who is has an injury or um, disabled, they're not maybe in the, in the right frame of mind to be researching all these details. And it's really that assistance that you provide as an attorney. That's correct. And, but I'm not just making it up is my point. It's all out there. Oh, no, no, no. I understand that. I understand that. I, and I appreciate you giving our listeners that, that particular uh, pamphlet and that it's, it's very, it's like regular social security retirement and dependent benefits. It's very confusing and it's, it's just tough to navigate on your own. Um, you mentioned earlier, Ed, about SSI. What it, explain for our listeners what the difference is be, between Social Security Disability Insurance and SSI, which is not Social Security okay. income. So it, it is supplemental security. Supplemental security income is available to disabled persons who do not meet social security disabilities requirement that you have worked and paid social security taxes for 40 quarters or 10 years in your lifetime. Okay. And that's the other, another question I wanted to get to, but 
you can get disability if you've worked less than 40 quarters if you're younger. Can you explain that? Yeah. So the 40 quarters is the general standard, but they do have a sliding scale, which I don't have memorized. Um, but basically, if you're very young and you have a severe disability, if you've worked pretty much your whole adult life, it's not every year. So if you're 26, you don't need to have worked eight years. It's on the website. I, I can look right, at it. Right. But, but it's close to it. It's prorated by the right. age. It's prorated by age and every age is different. Okay. But I believe once you get to, I think about 35 or so, they stop and it's just the 10 years. Yes. The okay. point being to qualify for SSD, social security disability is for people who did work and then became disabled. Supplemental social security traditionally is for people, you know, someone who has a child with Down syndrome, who right. then grows up, who's not going to hold gainful employment. Right. They're, they're the typical ex example of SSI. And I mean, SSD is much, much, much better than SSI for mm -hmm. a number of factors. But the big two are it pays a lot more and you're allowed to actually own things, <laughs> which you're not on SSI. SSI has what they call a $2,000 resource limit. And there's a whole bunch of exceptions. You're allowed to have your own car. You can have a house or real property that you live in. There's a couple of other things, but basically you're not allowed to have more than $2,000 in assets. Okay. Which that's almost nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's in New York city. That's less than a month's rent for most people. Right. So I have a lot of complaints about the system, but my biggest one about SSI is that resource limit because it doesn't allow people to create emergency funds. It doesn't allow people to plan for the future. It creates a situation where you have someone who has one significant medical event. And even if they're on Medicare, the 20% payment, if they don't have a Medicare supplement, is such that even if they have, you know, $1,800, it will completely wipe out any savings they have. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have no safety net. They're on a very low benefit. They're usually on a bunch of different uh, benefits, including Section 8, et cetera. SSI, you don't get it alone. You get it with other things. Because if you qualify, you probably qualify for a number of other benefits. But the point is, with the resource limit that low, mm -hmm. unless they have a family support system, you can end up where these people who are very vulnerable end up losing their permanent housing and all kinds of other terrible things that stem from that. Right. But I'm sorry, I'm off on a tangent, back to where we were. The point is SSI is not as good, Yeah. but anyone can get it. SSD is much better, but there are work qualifications. Yeah. 10 years is the basic one for a middle-aged person. If you're in your 20s or early 30s, you might not need as much. Speak to a lawyer or look it up on the website. There's a sliding scale. So if you had, you talked about this a little related to disability or an SSI, but if you had the power to decide how to, and I don't know how much you work with a regular social security program, but what changes would you make to either social security retirement benefits or the SS, the disability side of social security. All right. So 
The gorilla in the room is the tax cap. The tax cap does go up. It is on a sliding scale. I think it's at 138 this year. I think it's, 140, going... it's 147 now. Okay. But, All right. It still... was, uh, was at 138. Yeah. When Roosevelt created the system, it was $3,000. Then it was raised over the years until the 70s when they put in an automatic raise pegged to one of the measures of inflation. But there have been a number of problems with that. And the, this is the big one. In 1977, when this was done, what was not anticipated was the massive growth in the salaries of the very wealthy and the take-home pay of the, of the ultra-rich, let's call them. Yeah. That has led to all of this money, as we've had in more and more income inequality, that has not been accessible. Now, a conservative think tank organization, the Heritage the Heritage Foundation um, published an article in 2009 about this idea. And it has never come to fruition because it would be a massive tax increase on wealthy people. And that's unpopular on, uh, in certain political circles, in a very unpopular. But the Heritage Foundation in 2009 published an article that stated if we eliminated the cap, it would only move Social Security's insolvency from 2013 to 2019. I don't think they were correct about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the point is, the major problem with Social Security in general is it's underfunded. The reason it's underfunded is because we have this legacy cap on taxation. If we eliminated that, there would be no funding issue. Additionally, if the legislature could restore some of the funds that they looted from Social Security to pay for tax cuts and spending programs in the 90s and early 2000s, that would also be helpful. But the major problem is funding in two levels. One is staffing. Social Security is understaffed. The administration is understaffed. As people retire, they're not hiring new people. You have less and less judges. You have less and less examiners. I didn't practice in the 1990s, but some older practitioners who I trained under have, to have told me that in 1997, if you filed a Social Security application, it was about six to nine months. When a client comes into my office now, I tell them the time period is going to be 18 to 36 months for their application. This is for disability. For disability. Yeah. SSI, we don't do as much of. I'll be frank about that. I don't really do SSI, mm -hmm. um, mainly because I'm ancillar ancillary to a larger practice that largely serves people who are working. Mm -hmm. And we will do an occasional SSI case, you know, for a family member or someone or et cetera. But it is not our main practice. But staffing issues can be fixed with funding. And then here's the secondary feature. It's my opinion and maybe I'm prejudiced. I am a claimant's practitioner, but it is my opinion that Social Security, the Social Security Administration, in an effort to stem some of the monetary issues they've been having with funding and et cetera, has in several cases significantly tightened up the standards. And there's also vast regional differences. I mean, I don't know if, if you remember, but there was an article about five or six years ago about the judges in Queens being significantly more difficult to get it approved 
application from than judges in other boroughs in New York City. And that happens all over the country. I mean, with the most extreme case being the scandal about the judge in West Virginia from five or six years ago. I don't know if anyone's read about that, but there was a lawyer who was bribing um, a judge in West Virginia to approve only his clients. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and that had a twofold effect. It was because the judges are rated on their approval rates. They don't, they're supposed to have a certain rejection, a certain approval percentage. So he was driving business to himself by having the judge, who was the main judge in this rural West Virginia area, just deny everyone else. But the point being this, it's funding, funding, funding. Yeah. There are people who deserve social security disability who are not getting it. And then there's a secondary factor, which is in my belief um, needs to be addressed as well, which is the substantial gainful employment limits, the ticket to work program, the trial work period ish, uh, programs, and all of the fun stuff that goes around with being on social security and trying to get back to gainful employment. And that, in my opinion, that whole system needs to be restructured because right now it's basically a cliff. You have a trial and then they cut you off. I think that a much better system would be a step down approach and that that's, you know, basically what we need to do. And I can describe what the system is exists and what I think it should be if you like. But I think the three big issues are number one, social security is underfunded. They've tried to correct that problem by rejecting more disability applicants than they should. Because it's underfunded, applications are processed too slowly because of understaffing issues. And also because of underfunding, you have what I, I consider too much variation in the application process, depending on which judge you draw and what county you're applying in and where you live. Because it's so subjective then. Because, yes. Yeah. You can bring a case in two jurisdictions where it's almost exactly the same injuries and one judge will reject it and one judge will accept it. Yeah. And the third factor is it's my belief that the return to work system, the ticket to work system and the substantial gainful employment system is largely broken. It's not functional. It needs to be um, frankly, completely revamped. Um, so the way the system exists now is there's substantial gainful employment. And as long as you're making under substantial gainful employment, you are allowed to work while receiving your Social Security disability. Right. And SSI. Well, SSI is different. So I'm not going to address SSI. This is SSD. So if you are not blind, you can make about $1,200 a month and be under substantial gainful employment. Blind people can make about double the SGA number. They have a different number. It's on the web. You should look it up. It changes every year. It's about 1,200 right now. I'm not, that's not the exact number. If you go over that, you enter what's called a trial work period. Now, on a trial work period, you can work for up to nine months in any rolling 60-month period. Right. So that means in any period of five years, you can make more than your SGA, more than substantial gainful employment for it's, it's substantial gainful activity, but more than that for a period of nine months out of every five years. If you go over that, 
if you once you work month 10, they cut off your benefits completely. Now, here are the problems with this system, in my opinion. Number one, at $1,200 a month with a $15 minimum wage, if you are working more than 20 hours a week at New York City's minimum wage, you will exceed the SGA. And it's nationwide. $1,200 a month in rural Mississippi or the backcountry of Wyoming, you get some purchasing power. In Queens County, it's not the same. Yeah. It's not adjusted yeah. for local conditions in any way. Right. And in the age of inflationary housing costs being out of control, it's a substantial problem. Right. And the third thing is the cliff. And this gets a lot of my clients in trouble over the years because what happens is they'll get a retirement job and they'll start out and they'll be well under the number. But as time goes on, they'll get inflation increases and merit increases. And maybe they'll pick up a couple of hours. And this month they went over and then they went back under and then that month. And then all of a sudden they get a letter in the mail from Social Security that says, Hi, this is the Social Security Administration. You've exceeded your nine months of trial work. We're discontinuing your benefit. You may reapply and start the application process over. Have a nice life. Oh, by the way, we should have noticed this three months ago. So we, you owe us back the last three months of payments. Please send a check to this address. So this is all just so much. And I think our listeners are probably feeling quite overwhelmed with the sorry i'm getting too many many details. But, so, but the bottom line is they need help with ssdi and i know your firm does that where can people find this help so lawyers for social security advertise everywhere okay okay and is there is there a you mentioned earlier that there's a maximum amount that they can charge? So the fee structure on Social Security benefits is that the attorney gets 25% of the retroactive award, okay? What the retroactive award is, is you put in your date of onset, your AOD, your alleged date of onset, and Social Security, if they approve you, will often retroactively pay you back to that date. Okay. 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 The attorney gets 25% of that money as their payment. Okay. And is that across the U.S.? That's federal. Yes. It's the federal statutory regulation. Okay. All so right. people but that need that help just need to reach out to right. firms like yours or others mm-hmm. to get this help. That's right. And the thing about the fee is it's also capped. So just under $6,000, even if the number 25% would be more, you get the top, it won't go over $6,000. Okay. It's not even 6,000. I think it's five, pretty sure it's 59.83 right now, but I'd have to look. The point being, it's well worth it. And then there's a secondary thing, which is, um, this is something that I've told many people over the years. You've brought your health problems to two or three law firms who specialize in social security disability law. If all of them have said that you probably don't qualify, then you probably don't qualify. Yeah, yeah. 
and you're welcome to try on there on your own, but we know what we're talking about. Look, we're not going to turn away a paying customer if we think we're going to win the case. But right. like any other contingency work, Social Security is paid out when we win. Right. When a law firm takes a Social Security case and we lose, we do not get paid. So right. all of the work that goes into that file is a loss right. for the firm. Yeah. So what that leads to in my office and my practice and other people's practice is lawyers being selective based on their own economic basis about cases they will and will not take. Yeah. Well, that's a good indication. And for our listeners to understand that. And I would recommend getting two or three opinions. If one person turns you down, maybe they just have too many cases. Maybe, okay. maybe okay. they just don't want to deal with your file today. So do call and get another opinion and maybe a third. But if you're getting three, four, five projections. That's probably it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for sharing all your insight into this. It's a really complicated uh, aggravating process, I would say. Um, but I think we all learned something and that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. Please tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. Our expert guests share a wide variety of knowledge on retirement related topics. See you next week. Mm -hmm.